Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the A Million God Stories podcast. We are so glad that you decided to tune in with us here today, and we're thankful that you would uh, take the time out of your day to be here with us. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, And guys, I just wanted to say that usually we're trying to do a story, a podcast a week, but there has been a bit of a lag time here. I think about two weeks where we haven't had one, and I wanted to apologize for that. But starting with this story, we're going to try to get back on track of doing a podcast and a story um, one a week so that we can have consistent content. So you can be on the lookout for that. And then as always, I just want to encourage you all, if you yourself or you know anyone um, that has a God story of how God has worked in your life or one of your friend's life um, in, a, in a powerful way, we would love for you to share that with us. And you can do so at www dot a million god stories.com okay now we will get to this week's episode uh and this one is another special one because we have the storyteller with us themselves miss ruth ruth how are you today i'm doing very well thank you john oh you're so welcome and i want to thank you for taking time out of your day uh to be here with us thank you yeah absolutely (laughs) okay guys as always i will start out by just um leading us in prayer, and then Ruth will take it away. Okay, please pray with me. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much uh, for this day. Uh, We thank you uh, for all the ways that you provide for us, uh, Lord, for your grace, and Lord, your mercy, and your love, uh, Lord, your unending love. And um, I just pray right now that you would be in this moment, Lord, that you would um, give Ruth your peace, that you would speak through her and that ultimately, Lord, you would anoint these words that um, your powerful spirit would fall on this place and go wherever this podcast goes to these listeners. And um, would you give people eyes to see and ears to hear and turn hearts of stone to flesh um, through this story? Would you continue to use um, the A Million God Stories ministry and podcast for your glory? Uh, So, Lord, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, you all, we are going to go ahead and hand it off to Ruth for her to read her story. Ruth, you can go ahead and begin uh, whenever you would like. Okay. Well, John, I'm going to start at the end. For me, that was the beginning of an unexpected walk of faith. Late on the evening of October 26 in 1989, there was a knock on our door, and it was my parents, and they lived about 45 minutes away from us. And they had come to tell me that my sweet son, Ronald Lawrence Cole III, had been killed by a drunk driver. He was riding his 10-speed bike. My world, John, it just turned upside down that night. And it's never, it's been difficult ever since. I was sent down a path no parent expects to take, the lonely road of losing a child. My parents consoled me. I remember crying so loud that my two stepsons woke up to my cries as I screamed, no, no, no. It was a very sad night. I put on the Florida Gators t-shirt that Ronnie had given me that year for Christmas, and I fell into slumber in the wee hours of the morning. I felt a little closer to him with his shirt on. The next morning, I woke up to the realization that I needed to tell my sweet 12-year-old daughter, Natasha, that her dear brother had been killed. I was so afraid. God, how 
how was I going to tell her? God was going to have to give me the words, and I so dreaded having to tell her. As the words came forth out of my mouth, it was like an ugly monster. And I could just hear her heart crack, and her tears just fell all over me. And she and I just clung to one another and rocked as if we would surely die ourselves. How were we ever going to survive this day? There's nothing, John, like having Christian parents and a family of Christian friends. We were very quickly circled by them. My parents and my best friend were over the first thing early the next morning. And we were talking about Ronnie and we were sharing memories and they just flooded the room. I think we even laughed at some of the stories. Those first days are so full of the denial stage of grief that I know my memories are altered forever. I remember I felt like I was in a daze and I had to be told every step to take. I remember looking over at my dad and him gently saying to me, honey, we need to go to the funeral home now. And I realized, oh yeah, I have to go pick out a casket, don't I? We continued on the mission that no parent wants to take. I was screaming in my head over and over silently on the way, why God, why, why, why? John, it was a question that I would ask God why for months to come. As we picked out a casket, I should have been helping my son Ronnie pick out a class ring. He was only six weeks into his senior year. I'd spent a small fortune on braces as a single mom before remarrying. All those growing up years, where were my fruits to enjoy? Instead of planning my son's senior prom, I was planning his funeral. It was so unfair. And I remember telling God, you have no idea how you feel. I'd never felt so alone in my whole life. And yet, I was surrounded by my loving family and friends. In the months to come, I questioned God over and over and over. Why didn't he intervene? It seemed so wrong. It was so wrong. I struggled with the meaning of my life. I was a, I was a secretary at that time, and it was no longer fulfilling. Life just had to be more than that for me, John. I'd always wanted to be a nurse, so I went back to college to become a nurse, a dream I'd held in my heart for years, one I had even shared with Ronnie when he'd been home that summer. We were sitting on the front porch one summer night, and we talked for hours, and I told him I wanted to be a nurse, and he said, Mom, what kind of nurse? I said, a pediatric nurse. But I told him I didn't think I could handle the death of a child. And imprinted in my brain like a brand is Ronnie's response. He turned that night on the porch and he took my hands in his. And he looked right into my eyes with those beautiful baby blues of his. They sparkled. He said, Mom, you are so strong in the Lord. You could handle that. Many, many times his words rang in my ears. He believed in me. He believed I could handle it. 
He believed in my faith. Yes, faith. What a struggle that was those days. What did I even believe? At times, I believed that God didn't really care about the hairs on my head. If he did, he would have intervened. Isn't that what God does for Christians, his special people? I struggled so with free will, consequences, faith, and grace. One minute I'd be praying and talking to God, and the next I would cry and I would blame him. Yes, after the shock and denial stage of grief wore off, there was so much anger and so much sadness. You feel all alone like you're walking through the malls Christmas time. Everybody's laughing, but you feel shattered. Your world's never going to be the same. Will there ever be joy again, true joy? Does joy really come in the morning? I couldn't see God's hand in my everyday life, and yet I can look back now and I see he truly carried me through the nightmare of grief. I can recall many rough moments. I cried at a friend's daughter's wedding just weeks after my son had died. I was crying because I knew I'd never see my son standing at the end of the aisle waiting for his bride. What would she have been like? What would he have become? How many grandchildren did Satan rob from me? Yeah, I started realizing, John, that it was Satan who had come to steal, kill, and destroy. In my grief, I did not always go to the God's word for comfort. I'd sometimes play right into Satan's hand, and I wouldn't even go to church. If I felt down, I didn't want to go. At other times, I'd use the Bible for comfort. I found I could only listen to the Christian radio songs. I quit listening to the rock music station because I realized Jesus was my rock. I'd heard the Rust Half song, I Still Believe. And it touched my heart so I would play it and play it and play it. I, I'd get in the car and I'd be going to the cemetery and I would just put that CD in and I would just play that song repetitively. It became my spiritual warfare song. It was clear Satan had stole my son and now he was after my very heart and soul. At times I wondered, was Ronnie saved? You see, he'd gone on a youth trip that summer with the church here in Nashville. He was living with his dad at the time. And so he had recommitted his life to Jesus. And yet Satan was saying when he went back to his dad's, you don't know if he stayed saved, do you? It was a horrible, reoccurring, haunting thought right out of the pit of hell. I needed peace. Where was my prince of peace? Anger. Oh, how angry I was at God, at life, at the drunk driver who crashed into my baby boy. Yeah, life is just not fair. I went to a full gospel meeting about five months after my son's death. Spring was in the air, birds were singing, and yet I felt like the whole world's coming back to life, but not my Ronnie. The speaker that night talked about anger and forgiveness. 
I'd forgiven. I'd said so in my heart. God, forgive this enemy of mine who killed my Ronnie. Yet when the altar call came, my feet took me right up front to a man I will never forget. You know, they had people, the men, the leaders were up front for an altar call to pray for you about any struggles you had with forgiveness or anger. And this man was about my dad's age and he was American Indian. And he, he seemed to know so much about spiritual warfare. He was about my dad's age and his son was right by him and he was about my age. And he asked me what my prayer request was. And I told him my son had been killed by a drunk driver. He'd been hit from behind on a 10-speed bike. I wasn't sure that I'd forgiven the drunk driver. I, I felt so angry inside so much. He asked me if I'd been praying for him, and I said, yes. I pray for him every night. He asked me if I prayed out loud and reminded me, whatever your mouth speaks, it comes from your heart. He asked me to repeat words after him, and I obediently did. He said, by the grace of God, I forgive. What's his name, honey? And I found myself bolting. I threw my hands down, and this angry voice came out of my mouth. I almost didn't recognize my own voice. I said, I can't do this. And he got right in my face and he pointed and he said, that's right. You can't. Only Jesus in you can. And then he asked me if God had ever forgiven me of anything. Whoa. Did I see my life and my former sins? You know, it's like one of those fast videotapes just flashing before my eyes. And I was so broken. I was remembering my sins. My God in his grace had forgiven me of so much. This man told me if I wanted God to continue forgiving me, that I must forgive him in Jesus' name. When he could see I was ready, he said, do you want to do this again? And I said, yes. He said, honey, repeat after me. By the grace of God, I said, by the grace of God, he said, I forgive. I said, I forgive. He said, what's his name? I said, Sam. At that moment, I started bawling like a baby. I felt 50 pounds lighter and I cried and I cried and I cried. I think I cried harder that night than I had in a long time. And it was so freeing. He reminded me. He said to me, the thief is going to come time and time again to steal your joy. He said I needed to pray out loud daily for Sam. And I do. I still do. And I always will till the day I die. That following Sunday was so amazing. I was at church and I'm listening to the pastor and he told us to look up a scripture well, I misunderstood him, and I wound up on a page with a subtitle. It stood out to me like a lighthouse beacon. It said, forgiveness for the sinner. It's 2 Corinthians 2, 5. 
yes, God was calling me to do more than I could have imagined. I've learned that's his trademark, you know. He's the more than I can imagine God. You see, the scripture was so personal. And it called me to forgive him. And said that the punishment inflicted on him was sufficient, what came from the majority. And all of a sudden, I, I had this vision that if I didn't forgive this man, he might kill himself in prison. And then his blood would be on my hands. And I didn't want that. On the six-month anniversary of my Ronnie's death, it was my first real sad milestone. I sat down and decided to write a letter to Sam. God put it on my heart from that scripture, and I was afraid not to be obedient. My hills were dug in the ground, and God was pulling me forward to a new level. I was quite resistant. I wrote the letter, and I shared my experience with him. I told him how I, I'd been ordered by God to also mail a Bible to him. I knew that in my heart. Wow. God, what next? So in my half obedience, I bought a paperback student study Bible, paperback, and I mailed it to the prison. And several days later, it came back to me, water damaged. It looked like it had been dropped into a puddle of water and then dried. It looked awful. I called the prison and I asked, why did the Bible come back to me? This lady explained they had a security procedure and it required a lot of red tape. And she said, if his name ends in this and the alphabet, then you have to do this and on and on and on. I was so exasperated. I was tearful and I said, lady, please, I just want to mail a Bible to the drunk driver who killed my son. John, you could have heard a pin drop. And that's putting it mildly. She paused for some time, no doubt recuperating from the shock of my statement. Then she spoke to me in a total different tone of voice, one of compassion. And she told me I could mail it straight to him at the prison chaplain's office and that they would get it to him. So once again, I set out on my mission to the Christian bookstore, get another Bible a study Bible for the man who killed my son. John, I arrived at the store and right up front was a table of beautiful leather bound Bibles with this big for sale sign. Talk about pretty and the price, not much more than I'd paid for the paperback. In my heart, I did not want to buy a pretty Bible for Sam. And yet, my betraying legs walked me right up to the checkout counter with it. And the sales clerk, she asked me, ma'am, is this a gift? My mind did not like that word at all. This man did not deserve a gift. And he certainly did not deserve my holy God's word. Oh, no, not at all, I thought. Yet my betraying mouth said, yes, ma'am, it is a gift. And then she explained it was the store's policy to engrave the receiver's name on the Bible for no additional cost. And it would only take 10 minutes. Would I like that? My mind screamed, no, no, 
No, not his name on my precious Lord's word. And once again, my mouth betrayed me and my words flowed from my lips. Yes, ma'am, that'd be very nice. I was a bit angry with God. Wasn't he pushing this obedience thing just a bit too far? My flesh and my spirit were having one really big battle. God, I prayed, please help me have the spirit of love and grace for Sam that you have for me. And I went home, I wrapped the Bible, and I quickly shipped it to the prison chaplain. Engraved in beautiful gold letters on the Bible, Sam. His whole name. It seems so very odd to see his name on the Bible. And now my son's name was on a tombstone. Yeah, it was very odd indeed. About three days later, we were eating breakfast and we got a phone call. My husband, Bill, answered the phone and he anxiously came running into the kitchen. It's the prison in Florida. It's the pastor that you mailed the Bible to Sam through. As we spoke, the chaplain said words so amazing. I'll never forget them. John, he told me that when he received that Bible with the letter explaining for him to give it to Sam, he'd never even met him before. You see, Sam wasn't going to the prison church services, so he had summoned him to his office and he told Sam that this package was for him, this Bible. And he told me that Sam opened the Bible and read on that front page to Sam from Ruth Whittinghill in memory of Ronald Lawrence Cole III. The pastor told me that Sam broke down and sobbed heavy tears for a very, very long time. And finally, when he could utter some words, he was still sobbing. And he said, Pastor, no one, and I do mean no one, has ever given me a Bible as a gift in my life. And of all people, her the chaplain said he'd seen a lot of people in his lifetime talk the talk. But he said, lady, you are truly walking the walk. I told him it was only Jesus in me. It was not me. I said I had really struggled with the obedience to do what God had put in my heart. It was only through God's grace that I could even do it. The chaplain assured me that it was still a choice to be obedient and that I was to be commended for following through with God's will. You know, John, it felt good to have done the right thing. And it felt good to know that as the pastor had put it, today, you made a difference in this young man's life. You see, he was only 30. I don't know about his tomorrows, he said, but today you've made a difference. Well, Sam responded with a letter to me that was full of surprises. I learned this young man, well, he was only five years younger than me at the time. I was 35. He had lost his biological mom to acute alcoholism. 
when he was only three years old. And then he'd lost his stepmom that had raised him to cancer when he was only 23. His father was in ill health and in a nursing home, totally unaware that he had a son in jail six months now. He said he couldn't write to him and break his heart. He had a sister that he had actually cared for. She'd been in an alcohol-related wreck, leaving her a paraplegic, and in her case, she had been the drunk driver. She was now in a nursing home. The drunk driver had an LPN degree and had actually been working in a nursing home himself before this accident. His letter explained these were only facts and by no means were they any just justification for what he had done. His first letter actually started out with the words, I never expected to hear from anyone while I was in here, especially you. I can't even begin to understand why you've written to me, nor why you sent me the Bible. It dawned on me that he felt very undeserving of this act of grace that Jesus had done for him through me. I continued to write him throughout his jail term, sharing Jesus with him. I would pray to God for guidance. I wanted to say the right scripture, the right words. You see, he'd shared that he'd come to realize that if I, the mother of the young man he, could, he had killed, could forgive him, then he knew that God could forgive him too. And it gave him back his faith. You know, John, we're all sinners. We're all saved by God's grace. And none of us deserves what God gives us. I also had to believe that my son so dear to my heart, had made a difference in this man's life. It would be such a waste if Ronnie's death had made no difference. Then Satan really would have won a battle. Time and time again, God had given me a peace that would just surpass all my understanding. How could I not pass that love on? Yes, that's the way my son Ronnie would have wanted it. God has rewarded my obedience tenfold in countless ways, John. His love is like forever. It's his sweet grace. You know, on my first Mother's Day, I was really dreading it. How was I going to make it through such a special day without my sweet little boy? Ronnie'd always been so good to me on Mother's Day. He'd buy the best Hallmark cards and there was going to be such a deep void, a deep vacuum. So I got brave and I went with the women of our church to a women's conference in Gatlinburg. And yet I felt extra lonely and I was trying to act happy around everybody. And I didn't want to bring anybody's special time with the Lord down. And we were all walking along Gatlinburg, the shops, and I kind of got ahead of the others, and I ducked into a shop that was calling my name because it had all this Mickey Mouse stuff. And memories just flooded my soul. I had done Ronnie's when he was only two. I'd done his whole room in Mickey Mouse stuff. 
I'd made his curtains and a bedspread and pillows. And I was just so sad looking at all this Mickey Mouse stuff. And my little, my little man was gone. What was going to get me through this weekend until I could get back home with my family where I could safely cry and be sad if I felt sad? I went out that store and I was just saying, God, I need you. I need you. And I looked up and the very next shop was titled God's Corner. Oh, I thought that's where I need to be. I need to be in God's Corner. So I went in this quaint little shop. And John, I was awestruck by this most amazing picture in sundry sizes all over the wall. This stunning picture that an artist had done of Jesus holding a young man. And they're both like six feet tall. You know, we always imagine Jesus is six feet tall. And my son was six feet tall and he was very slender built. And this picture shows the young man from the back. And it, John, it looks just like my son. It's not red hair. It's not blonde hair. It's not curly hair. It's my son's straight haircut coming down to the nape of his neck. And Jesus is just embracing him like he's the best gift he ever got. Oh, I'm looking at that picture and I'm saying, that's my child with my God. Whoo, what a gift. And you see, Satan would tell me all the time, remember your son's dead. And I'm looking and I'm like, no, no, he's alive and well. And there's no doubt he's in heaven. My God has him. How many people can say they have a personal picture of Jesus holding their child? You know, John, in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew how much Jesus loved me. He loved me more than I can ever imagine. This picture became my defense whenever Satan would slap me first thing every morning and say, remember, your son's dead. Remember, your son's dead. I put a copy of that picture right in front of my face so that when I would wake up every morning, I would see that picture and I would tell Satan, no, he's alive and well in the arms of my Jesus. You know, John, God truly cares about the hairs on my head, your head, everybody's head. Did I get rewarded for my obedience? Oh, yes, I did. And so, John, I'm telling the listeners, if there's anybody that you're holding accountable for a wrong, you're missing out. You're missing out. I can tell you that if they will find the forgiveness in their heart that Jesus has for us, they'll be richly rewarded. Just follow Jesus' example 
Just forgive, love your enemies, and you'll have abounding joy. You'll have peace beyond measure and an afterlife, John, that's just out of this world. And just ask God, just pray to him for his strength to do the right thing, because you can't do it in your flesh. But his Holy Spirit in you, if you allow, will do that. John, I want to thank you for allowing me to share God's grace and love, and especially my precious son, my Ronnie. And I'm just blessed beyond measure. Oh, yes. I mean, I... Gosh, I've, I, I say this on um, a number of different episodes, but it really is true. Um, the, the power of hearing the, um, the storyteller tell it themselves. And I've read this story multiple times, but to hear you say it, I mean, the thing that is, and it was said multiple times in the story that is most incredible to me is this is otherworldly. You like the, the things that you are discussing within the story, the type of forgiveness, okay. we can't do that. I mean, what you said of that man that prayed with you, he said, yeah. you can't, but Jesus can. And I just think that is such a testament to the God that we serve. You know, I just can't get that out of my head. The, that theme within this of the, no, no person could do what you just did. And, you know, you, you would you you told people that within your story that people that you encountered. This is only because of the lavish grace and love that I've been given. And I'm choosing to be obedient, right? Like you said, the chaplain said, you chose that. You did. You could have, yeah. you could have withheld that, right? But you didn't. And it, and it really did. You know, you don't know about his tomorrows, but yes. it, did, it did change his life. Uh, and so I just think that's such a powerful testament to um, forgiveness and for, for those that are listening, you know, in God's love. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Yeah. But we can. Yeah, that's right. And God is a, a God. He's a redeemer, right? He he takes broken things and he redeems them. And you just see that in your story. And like you said, what what do we, it's very difficult to walk in obedience, but what is the fruit of that? It's freedom, right? Like you said, you felt like you lost 50 pounds. You you have been rewarded. The Lord has been faithful um, to your, your obedience. He hasn't left you out to dry. He hasn't uh, kept it to the difficulty of the, of the um, hardness for, you know, he, he has surrounded you. He's given you his presence. He's lifted you up. He's given you peace. He's given you joy. He's given you hope. Um, and I, I just hope that that's, you know, like you said, uh, what the listeners here today. That they're you encouraged. know, John, this picture, um, I'm an, I'm a nurse by profession and I had a, a patient one time that had, he was very, very wealthy and he was a non-believer. And he said to me, you're always so happy. And you've said, you wear a cross and you've said a few things about God in the different times that I have come and gone as a patient here. And he said, but do you really know there's a God? He said, because I'm so wealthy and I have nothing when I die. And yet I've got all the money that somebody mm. could want. And I said, I'm going to bring wow. to work tomorrow a picture. And I'm going to show you a miracle. Because I used to wonder, I had a horrible thing happen in my life. And I used to wonder, 
Was there a God and did he care? And I also had wallet-sized pictures that I found in a Christian bookstore, that picture, and I gave him one. But I told him that and led that man to the Lord. And I have never, ever doubted That's so, that there's yeah. God again. I know that I know that I know. That's right. Amen. And that is so wonderful. That's a great place um, for Amen. us to finish because that's exactly why um, A Million God Story exists. That's why we do this podcast so that we can spread that good news. So for everyone listening, I hope this was as encouraging to you as it was for me. Um, and we will just finish out this week's episode. We hope that you all um, have a great rest of your week, those that are listening, and that you will tune in in a future episode.